You're listening to Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Bob Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Okay, let's set up straight out there. Eyes straight ahead, no talking, and you can chew gum. You know rules and regulations around here, right? Huh? Okay, well, in early 1971... I began a hobby in collecting E.T. manuscripts which grew out of my using various Egyptian, Hebrew, Sanskrit, and Atlantean scripts in two of the murals I completed at Johns Hopkins University in 1969. The first mural, as they call them here in Balmer, the first first mural called The Apocalypse at Levering Hall, and the second one, being done for the postgraduate students called the Lord's Prayer. Boy, now, do you know the history of the Lord's Prayer? Well, we haven't got time for it now. Now, all right. That was because the graduate students came to me one day and said, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing murals for the undergraduates and not us? Well, I suppose I didn't know they even existed in that time. All right, so... Public television filmed a half-hour documentary of my life, and both of these murals are a major part of that honor. And as you know, I've just completed restoring the 2,700-square-foot apocalypse mural and have been asked by Johns Hopkins University to address their alumni this coming April. However, you can see it any time you want because it is open 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Daily at Levering Hall, I began to see parallelism, not parallelism, parallelism uh, between some of these ancient and extinct languages. Well, you can imagine my thrill when I learned, <laughs> yes, you should have seen me when I saw this book, when I learned of How to Talk to an Alien by Nancy, and I hope I'm going to pronounce this correctly, Duterte. Well, well, I'll get corrected on that in a second. And, uh, published by our friends at New Page Books this year. And Nancy is with us for both hours tonight. Now, who is she? Well, she's known as the Skeptical Psychic and a securities litigation attorney who became a trained psychic detective and remote viewer trained in military CRV methods. A magnum cum laude graduate of Princeton University. Hey, I wonder if she knows our friend Dr. Elaine Pagels up there at Princeton. Uh, we twisted the night away with her. Now, she is a frequent media guest on shows such as Coast to Coast AM and also hosted her own weekly CBS radio show. She is certified in intuitive gestalt psychotherapy and the author of several books, including Psychic Intuition. Now, her websites are theskepticalpsychic.com and talkalien.com. Welcome to 21st Century Radio, Nancy. Thank you very much. <laughs> are, you, are you sitting up straight? Uh, moderately, yeah. Well, that's good enough. I mean, we'll let you, <laughs> you can be moderate in all things. By the way, <laughs> what, do you know Elaine? I mean, excuse me, Dr. Elaine Pagels? At, you know, I, I didn't know. In fact, I didn't even know she was at Princeton. Um, I didn't know her when I was there. I've certainly, you know, researched her and know all about her and have seen her on TV and all that kind of stuff. I think she's fantastic. Isn't she? Wow. 
she yeah. really did. Yeah, she's I so can't nice. quite imagine her twisting the night away. Well, but, uh... <laughs> well she did with us in a way. You know, we had a pretty good time. Well, when, how, and why did you begin your study of ancient and extinct languages? Um, well, first of all, I have a feeling that you probably know way, way more than I do. Oh, I don't think so. Ancient and ext- I'll bet you do. Uh, um, no way. <laughs> no way. No way. Okay. Okay. Um, I didn't start out studying that at all. Well, okay, let me back it up. Um, when I was at Princeton, I actually, I got my degree, it was BA, I got it in Romance Languages. So that's what I, I got trained in languages. And when I was there, I was studying some German, and uh, I've also studied some Thai. You know, all those mm-hmm. being modern languages, and yes, I studied, you know, Old English and Old French and all that, and they're like different languages. But I have never, uh, you know, made a study of the truly ancient languages. What's happened is since I got into um, researching alien languages, I've discovered certain relationships, and the way that that happened was actually very strange. Um, I was uh, down in Florida. I was down there for a wedding. Uh, I was staying at a hotel, and I was wandering back through the hallways, and there was this woman who had set up like a, a trunk show of jewelry, you know, in front of a, one of those boutiques. Oh, yes. I remember this story. This is wonderful. Go ahead. And, and it was just, uh, you know, and I like jewelry, so I'm looking at all of the sparkly stuff. And the woman who, she's got three very long tables. She grabs me from one end, drags me down to the other end, and says, oh, you've got to look at this necklace. You know, it's, it's phenomenal. It's terrific. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, well, okay, it's got these seven uh, kind of, they were maybe like three-inch long uh, leather pouches attached to it. And I'm thinking, okay, it's all right, but I kind of like the sparkly stuff down on the other end. But this woman, the the saleswoman, and, and she's also the designer, she wouldn't let me go. She said, "Oh, you have to see it. It's spectacular. These are um, ancient. They're they're uh, 19th century Ethiopian scrolls oh, on the inside." Yeah. And I said, "Oh, okay, that's interesting." She hands me all this literature, you know, from eBay, telling tells all about these kinds of things. I'd never heard of them. They're called kitabis, and uh, they don't they don't do them anymore. And they were, you know, as I read about them, they're like little magical protective scrolls. They're handwritten by the priests in Ethiopia, in the Ethiopian church, and they're written usually in goat's blood. Some of them have illustrations on them, and they're written in this, you know, the whatever the Ethiopian language was. And I'm looking at them. As soon as I look at some of these pictures, because you can't take the scrolls out, they're sealed. But I'm looking at the ones on eBay, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. The, first of all, the illustrations look an awful lot like gray aliens. That's the first thing. And the second thing is I'm looking at the written language, which, you know, I didn't, I didn't know it. I didn't read it, whatever. And I learn that it's called, um, I'm probably not going to pronounce it right, but Giaz or Giaz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it dawns on me, whatever this language is, it looks stunningly like some of the alien alphabets or alien languages that I've been researching. Mm-hmm. 
And this woman knew nothing about me, nothing. And so I said, you know what, I, I have to do this. So I got the necklace. And then, you know, the next few months I'm looking and I, I, I realized that the original book of Enoch oh. was written in Giaz. Yeah. And that I, believe, I think there were only two remaining original copies. Of, and I think the only one that's written in Giaz is the one that's owned by the Vatican. And, of course, everybody knows about the story of, you know, the Book of Enoch and, and that connection to um, aliens. Uh, so for me, it was just one of those, you know, I, I, it was as if, now let me back it up. Aliens, in the way that I have researched, the way that they communicate, they communicate in a variety of ways. It's not just, you know, language, like human language. It's many, many different ways. But one of the ways is through synchronicity. And I do believe that that was one of those moments where I and probably this woman were being directed. And there is no way I ever would have figured that out because I'm just not that bright. <laughs> Come on. To, to, no, serious. Serious. I can't and, and the fact that, that this woman just grabbed me. I mean, I wasn't even looking at that necklace. I wasn't anywhere close to it. And she goes on and on and on like that was her you know, the, the, the star of the, her entire trunk show. And she knew nothing about me. So I do think that that was one of those moments where probably we were communicated with so that that would happen, so that I would then understand something a little bit deeper and richer about alien language. Wow, what a story. Boy, and it's real. That's wonderful. <laughs> it's and real, that, yeah. Now, I'm going to, you know, I'll get into... The questions, um, in just a second, I got to mention this. On page 146 is my greatest hero on the planet. Uh-huh. And I would never expect it to see this in most of anybody's books anywhere. Dr. John D. I wanted to be uh, in. My Halloween costume at one time was Dr. John D. And, of course, nobody knew who he was. <laughs> and they'd say, who are you? And I'd say, I'm Dr. John D. And I'm holding my hieroglyphic monad. And I'm showing you. <laughs> and they said, what? I can't use the language they did. But they said, what the hell is this all about, Hieronymus? But anyway, uh, I got thank you for putting Brother John D. in here. Um, oh, he, I mean, the the book wouldn't be complete without well, him. I mean, he's like he's like a George Washington of this whole field. Yeah, he is. He is. Maybe we'll get back to him before, because but we got to get more serious here. But uh, this was this book was such a thrill for me. Um, I, I, I when I I uh, when I first got it, I wanted to read it right away, but I thought to myself, well, I got seven other books, seven other books to read. I can't do that. And so I set it and put it in the middle of my bed. And every night I would read one or two pages. And then I realized finally uh, a couple of weeks ago that the great moment was here. And that is tonight. Because I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I know you think I'm exaggerating and all the other. But I'm not. I'm not, Nancy. This I, is... I, you're unbelievably kind. And I'm, I really appreciate it. Well, 
All right, well, now we'll get on some of the hard questions and see if you can answer these. Yeah, right. let's, let's find out if you read your own yeah, book. Let, let me dispel any type of respect that you had at all. All right, well, we'll give you a shot at that. We'll give you, okay. We're fair. We're fair yeah. and balanced. You heard that. All right. <laughs> let's go. Let's Excuse me. All right, so why is it relevant or important to want to learn how to talk to an alien? Right, and uh, for people who haven't had the opportunity to uh, speak with an alien or understand that aliens are even there and have absolutely no experience and therefore no interest in any of this stuff, I would only suggest take a quick look at, uh, you know, a a review of some of the um, military encounters with uh, alien craft. And if you start to understand that they can violate our our military and commercial airspace, they're turning on and off our nuclear weapons uh, and missile systems, they uh, have unbelievable uh, mind control abilities. I mean, that is maybe harder to understand in terms of documentation, but it's absolutely true. Uh, They're abducting people out of their bedrooms or anywhere, driving along roads, um, and, you know, once you see the capabilities that they have to uh, control, interact, and interfere with our human uh, societies, it becomes, I think, just, you know, that is like priority number one. Why? And I don't understand why hasn't this been done or thought about an awfully long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really get it. I understand that the government has very, very quietly behind the scenes been working on different types of uh, communication um, interpretation and, uh, you know, different types of uh, cryptography techniques and that kind of thing, but they're not being made public. And, you know, the more, it's like two heads are better than one. The more people you get involved in working on a puzzle, the better the odds are of getting it solved. That's so uh, it doesn't make sense to me that they haven't really um, made this the study of alien languages a much bigger deal. Well, I agree, and I vote for that. But we have we have to have a timeout because uh, we are fair and balanced. We have okay. to have a timeout here on the playing field. You have a, Do you have a good curveball? Do you play baseball? Uh, no, not at all. Well, I'll I'll show you a good curveball every now and then. First, right. I have to teach you a slider, but. First, we got to take a break here on 21st Century Radio with our guest, Nancy Duterte. Is that correct? Good enough. I'll go for it. Okay, fine. Hello, this is Uri Geller, and you're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus. I remember when Uncle Uri came into our studio, he took over. <laughs> well, we let him take over for a couple of hours. And, and boy, if we get time, Nancy will tell you a great story about Uri Geller. All right, okay. I'm going to ask you question number two since you did so well on question number one. You ready? Yeah, did I pass? Yeah, well, you got an A. Oh. Yes, you got an A. So, okay. But, uh, but look, I'm tougher now because here's question number two. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Now, have there been any official attempts to communicate with extraterrestrials? Yeah, uh, there have been quite a few, and um, in in my opinion, they've sort of, um, well, the 
ones that we know about, I think, have been almost r- ridiculous. I mean, you had the uh, the golden plates, I believe, that were, or the gold plates that were sent off with one of the uh, Voyager ships in hopes that maybe somebody would pick it up, you know, as it went wandering through outer space. And I believe it had, and it was sent out, I think, by uh, Drake and Sagan, who Correct. did most of that work. And it had a little phonograph attached with, I think, some instructions on how to operate a phonograph. And since that was done, and I think that was, oh, that had to have been somewhere in the 70s, um, you know, I mean, who's using a, we don't even use a phonograph anymore. Anyway, I, so, so and it had, you know, images of, of all of our, you know, things around the globe, and it had samples of many different languages so that, you know, they could sort of get a general gist of what, who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Then you had the you have SETI sending out its um, radio messages uh, targeting uh, specifically, or they sent out a message again. I think this was sent out in oh, somewhere in seventy seventy four. I've forgotten exactly when. I could have that wrong, uh, but they they targeted a particular galaxy. I don't know if it was Andromeda. I've forgotten again, but uh, and they figured it was the, the radio uh, waves would take roughly twenty five thousand years to get there, and then if anybody happened to be there to pick them up, then and if they happened to want to respond, they would take another twenty five thousand years to get back to us. Mm-hmm. At which point, I mean, really? So that just didn't make any sense to me. On top of that, it automatically didn't make sense to me that they're using radio waves, which just seems, even to me, it seems archaic. Yes, of course. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Yes. Thank you. I agree, yeah, you know. uh, But i I got to tell you something, though. I still use my, my record player. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm one of those, I'm I'm 50 years behind the time. Uh, Well, (laughs) you know, um, one of my... uh, one of my heroes was Dr. Oliver Sacks, who just recently passed away, and he had written me this uh, this letter, and I forget why. I think I'd asked him about psychic abilities and whether he'd ever thought about it, because he was really a pioneer in the field of uh, of neuroscience. And uh, he sent me back a really sweet letter. This was back around, I don't know, 2001, something like that. And I looked at it and thought, oh, my goodness, he's using a typewriter. He's And he's doing, you could tell, by the way, it was like hunt and peck, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it, it was sweet. I mean, he's, he was just on a different technology. And some of us stick with different technologies for whatever the reason. Well, I didn't even get to the typing technology. <laughs> I look up to you know. I told you I'm half a century behind. Uh, yeah, but you're. But fortunately, there's you around, so that puts us in good shape. Especially uh-huh. since you have in this book a terrific bibliography. I'm so pleased by it that if anyone wants to know anything about some good sources, go to this index and uh, or, and and the bibliography. It makes a big... I know most people don't pay much attention to that, but I had a wonderful time reading that because there were a lot of my friends in it. Um, oh, and, isn't that interesting? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I think you you know Ingo. Yes, yes, you'll hear from him, and I understand uh, he's going to be on the air in about eight fifty. Eight fifty. He's joining us. You will hear him. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we, he, and I used to have some of the strangest experiences. Uh, uh, but look, I, we don't need that. We don't need any of that. Uh, but do aliens communicate by means of vocalized sounds or telepathy? Well, that that was the thing. I um, everybody always talks about the um, telepathic communication, um, and usually, you know, anything you read about people who claim to have been abducted or have had some kind of contact, they almost always talk about telepathic communication. And uh, when I was reading through um, David Jacobs' uh, work, he's an abduction researcher, and uh, I was reading what he was saying, but he said, well, uh, you know, in all abduction scenarios, it is only telepathic, be it alien to alien, alien to human, or human to human. And then when the uh, human is returned back to planet Earth, or back to wherever they started from, uh, then they lose all of their telepathic uh, abilities, because, as he says, you know, we all know humans aren't, we don't have uh, telepathic abilities. And there were a couple things that struck me as just totally wrong with that. Uh, first off, uh, and as you mentioned, I, I have written a book called Psychic Intuition, Everything You Ever Wanted to Ask But Were Afraid to Know. And I talk about uh, how you can train into certain gifts. And as you know, I mean, Ingo was, you know, he was the guy. He, he was the big proponent of, you know, you can train all this stuff. And I agree with him, and I'm a perfect example. I was not psychic before I trained. Um, I've trained into being a psychic detective. I've trained into being a spiritual medium. I've, I've uh, somewhat trained into medical intuitive abilities, although I had some natural ones before that. Um, I've trained into remote viewing. You know, so anybody could do it. And I always say, you know, if I can do it, anybody can. Um, so, so that's the first thing. Yes, we do have telepathic abilities. And the second thing was that I did a lot of research and discovered that, I, you know, I found tons of cases where the, and these are well-documented cases of abductions, where the aliens not only communicated telepathically but also um, vocalized, you know, so they were speaking languages or speaking some type of audible type of a, uh, a language. Boy, that was really very fascinating when you got to talk about, uh, let's see, the, I'm trying to find the right section here. There's a whole series of humanoids in 16th century China, uh, aliens in Brazil, tall white aliens in Las Vegas, Nevada, green skin aliens in Poland, and, and, uh, and, and more. And then you note, uh, oh my goodness, you know, I, I, I missed my point here. I got so excited by this. But <laughs> yeah, I, I'm oh, sure good. you, I don't good. think you've ever it's done something like this. careening off the road. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, <laughs> I was so excited to get to this point that, that their their language was more grunts. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of these, uh, what's interesting, you know, if, if, if you're also hanging around expecting uh, an alien to be communicating audibly, you, you have a few things to consider, like 
do they have the proper anatomy or, or um, uh, you know, the, the, the organs, the, the features to be able to produce speech like we do? I mean, mm-hmm. do they have a mouth, uh, larynx, vocal cords, lungs, nose, ears, uh, all those kinds of things? Some of them do, some of them don't. So you have to be very careful about, um, you know, what you expect from them. And I, I have given as an example, you know, if you assume that, that ears are, you know, sort of a component of uh, usually being able to conduct uh, a conversation because you've got to hear back and you've got to hear yourself. It's, it's harder for deaf people for sure. Um, but, for example, if you're looking, if, if the, um, the so-called uh, insectoids and the mantis type of um, aliens, if, if you look at them, they're generally described as not having any ears. And if they're anything like our earthbound insects, um, they do have ears. But they're going to, ha- I mean, they have ears in weird places. Uh, the praying mantis, ha- uh, the insect, has a, uh, ears on its abdomen. Crickets have them on their forelegs. Frogs have them internally as lungs. They, they use their lungs to hear vibrations. So they could have the organs to be using for speech and simply, you know, we wouldn't know it. And, and we would think, no, they can't speak, but maybe they can. Mm-hmm. So, But my point is, once you figure out whether they're able to produce vocalized sounds, um, they might not be human-sounding. A lot of these aliens have been described as um, buzzing like bees, barking or yelping like dogs or um, uh, sort of chirping or twittering like, like birds. Yeah. So, so they may make, all, and even if they're speaking human languages, they may be making uh, simultaneous sounds that are off the charts in terms of, uh, you know, our hearing capacity, which goes up to, I think, up to about 20,000 hertz. Well, I, c- I couldn't correct that even if it were wrong. So I still get an A? Yes, of course. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but, you know, I think maybe someday you'll get an H. Remember H's? No. I only got one H in my life. Uh, and uh, basically it, it means honor. It was uh, They used to give A pluses, but then they... Uh, anyway, my, my one professor who was a philosopher gave me an H, and it was the most exciting thing for me in the world. Um, that is. But I told other people that, and they didn't know what it was, so it <laughs> wasn't very impressive well, it's kind of it's kind of counterintuitive <laughs> because it kind of goes on, like, below F. <laughs> yes, that's right. I guess you're right. It got worse all the time. There you go. Now, friends, can you, can you understand why you got to get a copy of this book? You're not going to get – there's no other book like this, period. And this is too early in 2016 to say that this is the best book I've ever read in 2016 because we got a long way to go. But I got to tell you, this is right at the top. Now, you again, you're thinking I'm exaggerating, but boy, I needed to, to see other people pay attention to this because people used to make when I'd say get involved with this. They say, what are you wasting your time doing that for? And now I got lots really? of reasons. Yeah, now I can really? tell. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll say, go talk to my mentor. Uh, Nancy will tell you why it's so important. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now, now I know you, you're pushing it now. No, no, I'm telling you the truth. Now. See, I knew that it's like the Oscars or the Golden Globes. You know, they always wait till like the week right before, before they come out with the latest movie. 
That's true. So whatever is freshest in the brain is going to get the the, uh, top thing. Well, I'm sure they're always fair, and they never take advantage of anything. Now, how many (laughs) – it's like that ad we heard. How are we going going to restore America? Well, one basic thing you got to do is end Citizens United, and corporations aren't people. But I'm afraid – we're speaking to the preaching to the choir there. They're not going to pay attention to that. That was the Supreme Court that did it to us. But they had a lot of. Oh, excuse me. We get out of that. Excuse me. How, no, you're. You, you, I'm sorry. I, I have to stick with you on that because speaking as an attorney and somebody who you know, I, I watch politics relatively carefully. Actually, I sit in my local government. Um, and the Citizens United case, when that came out, I said, "Oh my goodness." We have just watched the death of our democracy, and there's no way out of this. Boy, are you smart. Damn right. That's the truth. That's the tr- As a matter of fact, the mural I did at Johns Hopkins University and finished in 1969 was just about that, which was we were no longer a democratic republic, and we were moving towards uh, a corporate oligarchy. And I was right. basing that on what... Just study the history of General Electric, or you study uh, Chiquita Bananas, or you study uh, there's so so many corporations, and I included them in the mural. And oh, Johns Hopkins is probably the only university that it would ever allow a discussion to take place on their wall. Twenty seven hundred square feet, a room, a stairwell, two ceilings, all about the same thing. And, wow. and I am so thrilled that they have decided it's that important that the alumni of the university need to hear the story behind it. But we need to take a break here with our guest, Nancy. It's called Nancy Duterte, something along those lines. How to talk to an alien. Can they speak our languages? Can you read our, they read our lines? Yeah, I think they can do all of that. But there's something that she says, and we haven't talked about it yet, but something that says that there's something we can do that they can't especially in the deals with how deep our psychic abilities can be. Hello, this is Ingo Swan, the author of Penetration, The Question of Extraterrestrial and Human Telepathy. And you're listening to the wonderful 21st Century Radio with the amazing Dr. Bob Hieronymus. Oh boy, it's so good to hear him again. Uh, I almost cry every time I think of this. Our guest is Nancy Duterte. The book is How to Talk to an Alien. Can they speak our languages? Now, you ready for the next question? I just want to say, first of all, I think you're awesome. And second of all, you have me crying because I didn't expect to to hear Ingo's voice. I'm sorry. No, no. Uh, He was so much joy. I'm telling you... um, One of the things we like to do is, is he knew good cigars. Oh, well, <laughs> I, I don't know about that. <laughs> you you don't? You guys didn't sit around and smoke cigars? No, uh, in fact, one of the first things I ever said to him, I, because he wasn't, he, he, he wasn't talking, and I was blabbering, and I said, I was just trying to make small talk, and I said, well, you know, because he had his, his cigar that he held in his tweezers, and uh, it looked ridiculous to me, and I, I couldn't figure out what the heck he was doing. 
And I, I said, I was trying to be polite, and I said, well, you know, my, my father sometimes uh, smokes a, a good cigar uh, after dinner. And, and Ingo just looked at me and said, I never smoke good cigars. And that was that. He had me, uh, I have held his cigars for him while he went ducking into stores in New York City buying stuff, and I'm standing out on the street holding his cigars, and they were always really bad cigars. Well, I guess maybe he's received the first good ones from us. Uh, he, he <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, let's get into this part. Uh, your mentor was our friend Ingo Swan, who joined us frequently here on 21st Century Radio. Please tell us about your relationship with Brother Ingo. So few people really know, uh, well, they know what he's accomplished, but what kind of a person he was. He was really something for us. By the way, um, his artwork was exhibited with mine for about a year this past uh, 2015 at AVAM, uh, along with Jimi Hendrix's artwork. Oh, you're kidding. No kidding. No kidding. Wow. Did you ever like Jimi Hendrix? Of course. Hooray for you. Hot <laughs> dog. <laughs> We're going to give you a Jimi Hendrix guitar pick from oh, his oh family. Oh, my goodness. You, you have just one. Uh, Jimmy Hendrix guitar pick. Okay, uh, my my producer is uh, making faces at me. Okay, so now I'll get back to. No, I told you she's my boss, and I cannot well, no, step out I, of the you line. Know what? what? I'm beginning to have doubts about that. I got a feeling that you you do a fair amount of your own direction there. Well, sometimes I do, uh, yeah. but but please tell us about your relationship with Ingo. This is a pretty sacred thing, as far as we're concerned. Uh, yeah, I and actually, you know, I did write about uh, some of, you know, how I met him initially mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in my book, Psychic Intuition. Um, and and uh, you probably knew him way better than I did. I right? don't think so. I, I, we got together a number of times, but gosh, you were you were studying number. I wasn't studying number him uh, under him. Uh, he no. took he can he pulled me up in New York one time with uh, my friend Dr. Krippner, and he said we're going to test you and see if you can do any uh, anything up here, and uh, I was trying to I don't know why I was trying to hit a certain uh, uh, number and I I couldn't do it, and and I got out of that and Ingo looked at me very strangely at that time because before that we never talked about that kind of stuff, but you really? had much better experiences than I did with him. Well, I, I don't know about that, but I, I I wrote a thing in, I have one sentence in my book, which, you know how sometimes when you write a book, sometimes there are things that you just say, yeah, that just, that's, I said it right. And I, I had one sentence in here that has always struck me as like, I just said it right about Ingo. And it, it said, Ingo was at once quixotic, charming, arrogant sincere, contemplative, aggravating, funny, and cantankerous. <laughs> I like that last word, cantankerous. And, and I said several times when this one I was, I went in to talk to him initially, he refused outright to answer my question simply because he didn't like it. But I felt like I was back <laughs> at school again. Well, maybe something closer to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Yeah. Um, he was... I mean, he would just shut me down. If he didn't like what I said or he disagreed with me, he would start pulling books off of his – he had tons of books, and they were all dusty. 
and he'd pull them off of his bookshelves, and they mostly he was looking at definitions. He loved definitions of things because everything had to be super precise with him. And not only that, but you could, I think he, he felt you, you could find the answers to mysteries inside the words. Mm-hmm. And and that sort of stuck with me a lot. Uh, so so you know, for example, I mean, I said, "Oh well, I guess you're you're a psychic, right?" And immediately he just bristled up and said, "Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, uh, I am in no way a psychic." I said, "Okay, I'm sorry, but you're psychic, right?" No, absolutely not. And then he got irritated. He stopped talking and he started pulling dictionaries and things off the shelf. And uh, he he said uh, anyway he he showed me and he, he what he was showing me was basically that the word psychic is so unbelievably vague it's like a giant catch-all garbage bag of anything that people don't understand that you sort of toss in there as you know one of the skills and so. I, I kind of said, oh, okay, I get it. I didn't get it at the time, but I do get it now. But um, he was, there was something about him, I mean, he was a left-brain thinker and a right-brain thinker. Yeah, yeah. And I think he had started out, I think he wanted to be a, if I remember right, a bacteriologist or something like that, but he was, you know, he was, so he was a scientist, but then he got into this, First of all, he got into art, uh, in a, but, but cosmic but exceptionally precise kind of art, and, yeah. and it's hard to explain. Oh, it is beautiful. Yeah, it was stunning. And um, it was such a good time to meet with his mom and his sister and yeah. everything. Uh, they all came down. Uh, oh, so you, you see, you've met them all. I never got a chance to meet them. I heard about them. I never got a chance to meet them. No, it's them. not my fault. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to blame me for that. I had nothing to do with it. I was yeah. just twisting the night away with somebody else, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, Elaine. Thank you for, for uh, letting us know a little bit about that. The, the ma- tell, oh, one last thing. Please tell our audience what this man accomplished. Oh, my goodness. Okay. He... I, I once interviewed uh, a fairly well-known psychic down in uh, the Edgar Casey Institute down in Virginia Beach. She said, you know, I think that once this whole thing with remote viewing really catches on, it's going to catch on big. Why? Because finally men are going to f- finally understand that there's some value to clairvoyance. It's about time. And I think she's she was onto something, and Ingo being the the creator, the founder of this entire, you know, uh, way to package clairvoyance. Uh, he made it a tool, and, and when it became a tool, it became acceptable to all different branches of society, and that was huge. And uh, certainly, uh, he is one of the great Americans as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure, you probably feel the same way, and I wish we could take time and talk more about him. But, but uh, he didn't write your book, so we're going to go back to your book. Okay. But influential in its in its creation. One of the last conversations that I had with him was about aliens. And did you talk about 
the, the experience he had on the moon. Oh, yeah, we had talked about that before. Well, I think that's probably the, one of the reasons why we don't go back there for now. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no yeah. kidding. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, how many languages do aliens speak? Well, if I knew that, I'd probably I'd be a lottery winner or something. Yeah, she would have won $17 billion the other day. Something big. Uh, Okay. So so the way that I look at this in my book, How to Talk to an Alien, is if you want to figure out, first of all, you know, once you've decided, okay, some of them can speak, then the question is how many languages? And are they speaking human languages? Are they speaking alien languages? In order to get that answer, you've got to go backwards and look at... um, Ask yourself the question, how many different species or races of aliens are we dealing with? Yeah. And I have heard estimates, and the, the initial estimates, actually I was just listening to something uh, that uh, Bob Dean was talking about, and he was saying back in the 60s or so, uh, it was believed, I guess, in, in government circles that there were four uh, different species visiting us. That has since, you know, it's expanded quite a bit. I've seen... The estimate of four, I've seen, you know, 57, 82, 160, and I've seen something that's in the 300s, and I'm sure that there are more than that. Um, And I don't think anybody has a complete lock and handle on the number because they have the apparent ability not only to look just like us, but also to shapeshift and to um, materialize, dematerialize and show up whenever they want to, or from unusual locations, such as subterranean, from other dimensions, from other galaxies. So uh, it's difficult to say. But what we do know, and what my research has shown, is that some of them have the capability of speaking hundreds of languages, alien and human, um, and just naturally, because some of them, some of these races of aliens seem to have very high IQs, and that sort of goes hand in hand with language ability. Some of them uh, are using different types of technologies that enable them to switch between languages so they can communicate with the human recipient. They carry little spheres and balls and wands mm-hmm. and boxes and things like that. Some of them have knobs on their uh, that they can adjust, like, on their headsets. And some of them apparently have an ability to uh, bounce back information with uh, motherships that apparently are outside of our atmosphere that specialize in, in language and language translation. So they're doing this in many, many different ways. And, and by the way, some of them don't seem to have the ability to communicate with us. So they do, you know, body language or sign language. That was the case of the guy I, I wrote about in Poland. There were uh, small, green-skinned um, aliens with apparently webbed fingers, and they couldn't speak Polish. They couldn't seem to speak any human languages, so they just did sort of, um, you know, sign language. That's how they communicated. Well, we're getting ready to take uh, our final break at this hour, and I wanted once again say 
that this book, How to Talk to an Alien, is something anyone, anyone that is interested in UFOs has to get this book. Really, you have to. And you can't buy one. Here's the reason why you can't buy one. You're going to get so excited when you read this. And you're, and you're going to talk to your friends about it. And they're going to say, can I borrow your book? And, and if you do, if you lend it, you may not ever get it back. So, buy two. Right? You can do that. They're not expensive. Because that's how important this is. It's a, you're going to be thrilled. There's so much material in here that we're never going to have a chance to, to cover. Uh, then and, and you will be surprised all the way through. And now my boss is saying we better get going here. And, of course, we'll be back with our guest in just a few minutes. My name is allegedly Dr. Bob Hieronymus. That's correct. A lowly Ph.D. hanging out in this part of the universe, but I don't know if it's a universe anymore. Maybe it's a megaverse. Could be more than that. And I'm sure our guest tonight could tell us that. Uh, but our executive producer who really, truly is my boss, is Laura Ellen Cortner. And she's famous in her own right. And now we have an engineer, Anna Caroline Caruso, who must be one of the greatest singers we've ever known. And maybe maybe someday in the future, we'll ask her to sing a, a little song for us. Okay? All right. But now, tonight, we're talking about a book that I have been longing to, well, do a, do something on uh, uh, for, for about a month or so. And uh, it's called How to Talk to an Alien. Can they speak our languages? Can they read our minds? What are they trying to tell us? New page books. And it tells you a lot more than that. And it's been, well, we're, gonna, we're going to present uh, Nancy with a, a doctorate right now. Nancy, you have just won a doctoral dissertation. Congratulations. Nancy Dutitra or Tertra, it's all your fault. <laughs> Are you ready? So now, Dr. Nancy, <laughs> you've got... Uh-oh. Uh, we got, now, uh, now I'm getting now, really worried. Yeah, now you're going to be in trouble now. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but, but um, what does... Well, does do aliens speak in accents? And that was one of the coolest things that I discovered in my research. And, you know, I, I was so tempted to... Uh, I've done some presentations on, on this topic of alien communication, and I was, I've been so tempted, but, I, but chickened out, uh, to start off, you know, approach the podium, stand there, and then, uh, you know... Uh, start to speak a little bit like this and then say thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here tonight and uh, I'm so grateful to y'all for having me here. And then go into a little bit of um, something rather different and uh, to see if there, there, there could be a response or, or, or some type of a, an understanding. And then uh, to go into something really twangy, you know, and then uh, go into more of a, you know, like a New York City type of a... In other words, to go through this whole thing and to confuse people who had never heard me before, who would then have absolutely, hopefully, no clue who I was, where I was from, or, you know, what the heck was this? Um, because accents 
hold a huge amount of information about the person. So, you know, uh, now you're, you're in Baltimore, right? Yes, yes ma'am. And I'm in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So if I really wanted to do, I know what a Baltimore accent sounds like. I can't really do a good imitation. Um, a Jersey accent, I mean, I really, I could talk a little bit, I could talk a little bit like a Jersey, you know, like I'm from here. A little bit stronger, but, you know, you're going to something like that. Uh, but I don't. I generally, people have a hard time sort of pinpointing me. I've lived all over this country, and I've lived in several countries outside of this country. Uh, so it sort of got homogenized. But if I speak to you with a, a, a you know, a British Cockney accent, a London Cockney accent, if I speak to you with a Texas drawl, if I speak to you with a um, an, an Indian British sounding accent, you are going to automatically know tons about me. You're going to know the location. You might have some idea who taught me the language. You, you're going to know all kinds of things. And it's the same thing for aliens, believe it or not. And what I've discovered in my research, in, in, and I'm talking about all kinds of case studies now, where people report these things. Mm-hmm. Some aliens speak with alien accents, and some of them speak perfectly in whatever the native languages are. And what does that tell you? I mean, my one of my all-time favorite stories is um, from uh, the... It was a, a case that started, or I think it was around the 1950s, and it went on for close to 40 years. It's called the W56 Friendship Case, and it was in Italy. There was a small town in Italy where the villagers were having constant interactions with a collective of all different races and species of aliens who were apparently living in a 200-mile-long underground base beneath the Adriatic Sea along the eastern seaboard of Italy. And... Um, so they they would interact with these aliens, and these aliens were ultimately interacting with some of the top Italian politicians, industrialists, scientists, and then ultimately through with uh, people over Europe. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty extensive. But one of these aliens, well, according to, uh, there was an engineer named uh, Stefano Breccia who wrote about them. And you know you know who I'm talking about? Well, yeah, because I read your book. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, and, but and before he, that, I, I heard only rumors. And this is one of the great things about your book. You you have most, many unusual UFO cases I've never heard of. Oh, excellent. You that know? was the goal. Yeah, That's well, what I wanted to do. And I wondered, um, where in the hell did she get this? Excuse me. <laughs> that's but, good. But, wow. You know, uh, so that's one of the reasons why our listeners, anyone who reads this book, are going to love that because I'm sure they have not heard most of these other cases. Well, what, just briefly, just to finish what I wanted to say about that, was that he talks about, um, he said, a lot of these aliens, what's really interesting is that they could get metaphors and puns and jokes. Mm. Now, if you speak a second language, you know that's like really advanced. Yeah. It's hard to get to that point where you can sort of get the nuances. But he said there was one alien in particular who spoke with an accent. His accent, he spoke Italian. Um, the, well, his accent was based on the fact that he had learned Italian listening to 
old radio recordings of Mussolini. Oh, yes, that's a great story. So, Which is great. So what is that, you know, if you hear, and I can only imagine, you know, what it was, but I imagine it was like you know, a little bit, you know, old time, like 1930s style uh, or 40s style of American, you know, from the films, you know, where they talk like this and they have that kind of nasally voice and it was a little staccato, <laughs> you know, something like that. But anyway, but automatically, if you hear that accent, it's going to tell you something about where they learned that language, which means he wasn't having much communication with humans. The ones that speak with no accent, they are clearly having uh, significant interactions with the human race in order to speak with no accent and to get all the jokes and the puns and the metaphors and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and, and plenty, those are, there are cases, uh, I was just uh, listening to a, a YouTube, actually, just now, before this, uh, of uh, Bob Dean talking about when he discovered this um, classified NATO report, there were, they were talking about instances of encounters with aliens where they were speaking perfect Danish with no accent, um, perfect Italian with no accent, uh, perfect, I think he, uh, he mentioned German, if I recall. Um, and I've also got a bunch of different cases. George Adamski out in California was meeting with aliens who were speaking perfect English as if they lived in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And that, that, by the way, that's Another one of the great things about your book, uh, there are a lot of researchers that will will not consider anymore anything that George Adamski said, and I think they're wrong yeah, about, they'll about get, his they'll experiences. Get over it. I mean, yeah, I know, and I've I've had uh, my own discussions. Let me put it that way, uh, sort of getting through that. I have a theory on this stuff, and uh, I give you an example. My approach to alien languages, I'm, I, I call it exolinguistics, as, as a, a way to a, a comparative linguistics, okay? There was a guy, a psychiatrist, Swiss psychiatrist, um, early 20th century. He decided to investigate this French medium named Helene Smith. She claimed to have visited Mars. She claimed to write and speak Martian. So he goes about it in kind of a scientific way. And he analyzes her, you know, psychoanalyzes her, and then um, does his own analysis of her Martian writing, which, by the way, I didn't think was terribly scientific, but oh well. He finally, he concludes that because the syntax and the structure of her Martian language was almost identical to her native language of French, that therefore it was a made-up fantasy language. It was not real, and he dismissed her as a crackpot. Well, you can do that with almost anybody who's coming up with these so-called channeled languages. What I have proposed is that you compare them, cross-compare them to actual uh, artifacts or actual recordings. And by the way, I've heard them, and I've received them personally, um, to uh, recalled memories of people, contactees, abductees, people who remember maybe seeing an inscription uh, or hearing a particular thing when they were in their abduction experience, and then they can recreate it. And then the third category would be these channeled languages or dream recollections or automatic writing, psychic um, intuitions, of, uh, which normally get dismissed by scientists. Well, bring them all back in and start comparing them. 
once you start comparing, then it gets really interesting because you start seeing there are unbelievable similarities. It's very, very striking. I had hoped to put some of those languages on our website, but we've just had a a strange, not strange, but difficult last four or five days, uh, and it, it eliminated that possibility. So I was going to... But but those of you who are out there that have been listening for almost 30 years, I'm going to hold some of these languages up to you know, the microphone so you can see them a little bit better. Here, I'll take a look at this. I'll hold, First, I'll show them Dr. John D because he, he's the man. And then some of these others, especially... Uh, Gosh, I like the I like the Villa Boas uh, script, oh, yeah. if you want to call that. It's yeah. it's beautiful to look at, and uh, tells his is in what's called the dot and line style. Yeah, Doctor Pezzaglini, who was a psychiatrist in Delaware, um, was the only person I really know of who ever seriously tried to uh, do a an analysis of alien writing, and he came up with three basic categories. One of them being the, the one that you're talking about, which is that dot and line style. Mm-hmm. And then there's a cursive style, which looks like script writing. And the last one is geometric, which are, you know, more like different geometric shapes. I think there are more than that, uh, and that's one of the things I'm working on. And, in fact, if any of your listeners uh, would be willing to share with me any recordings of languages, and not, uh, be it channeled or, or actual, whatever they have, or writings. Um, I'm compiling a, a worldwide database so that I can uh, hopefully put together some kind of a, you know, a Rosetta Stone and yeah. hopefully be able to begin to crack some of the codes on these these different languages. Well, you're my hero. No, you're my hero, heroine. <laughs> Somebody's got to do that, and it's really important. It really well, is. It's a dirty but it, job, but somebody's got to do it. Yeah, that's right. Well, I had to clean up the bedroom, so yeah, you know, you can at least <laughs> do something like that. But, but you know, again, uh, I hate to praise your book so much, but on page oh. one fifty nine, let me just mention this thing, and then and then I'll I'll let you free go free, and that is this: uh, you have on page one fifty nine an example of a tesseract. Uh, the fourth dimensional equivalent of an unfolded three dimensional cube. Uh, in, in my research, I, there is nobody else that I'm much aware of, except for back in the 20s and the 30s and, and 40s, you know, 1900s, that ever talked about this. Uh, this is a selfish question. Yeah. How did you bump into this? Uh, what What material did you find this in? How did I bump into a tesseract? Yes, yes, ma'am. Oh, I have no idea. Oh, okay. I just did. Well, um, it is something, isn't it? Uh, uh, and again, I'm being selfish here because this is there's a lot of things that my heart loves about this kind of work, and and that's the reason why, uh, being an artist, etc., that I am so interested in using. Uh, some of this, even if it's, you know, even if uh, all the professors at Hopkins take a look at it and says, hey, there ain't no such thing as Atlantean. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine, by the way. That's all right. They don't need to believe in that. That's right. If they, if they need to come to that conclusion by a different method, that's fine. They'll get there. 
because there's enough data out there that you can start to work your way down that pathway. The, the, The Tesseract, basically what I was trying to say was um, whether you're talking about the the spoken language of aliens, which, by the way, in many cases, well, okay, I have a friend who has, he claims to be, now this is going to get you, maybe it's going to sound a little bit crazy, but it is what it is, and I I don't have much time to sort of get into the background of it. He claims to be a time traveler. He has received communications from aliens, from a craft, several crafts that he claims are outside the Earth's atmosphere. Um, and they have directed him uh, to do things. They have saved his friend from uh, immediate accidents and uh, issues. At any rate, uh, he's recorded. He, he gets calls from them, sometimes in their alien languages. His girlfriend has told him that he will lapse into their language he has no recollection of it. He doesn't speak their language. He doesn't know their language, but apparently he does actually start talking to them in their language. They also speak in English, but it's really bad English. Uh, he's done recordings. I've heard some of them. They sound a bit like an Asian middle-aged woman, although it's hard to tell. And they're speaking very, very fast with kind of a, it's like they're bending all of their their, their vowels. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of peculiar sounding. I haven't heard anything like it before. I also have received electronic voice mm, voices on the phone, uh, and I've heard very strange things. Um, but the point is, uh, a lot of abductees, contactees have said that when they've heard alien languages being spoken, sometimes it sounds like they're being played backwards at a very high speed mm. on a tape recorder, or sometimes forward. So they're kind of squeaky and fast. They may be um, uh, dimensional, these languages. Mm -hmm. And so they may be much more packed with data and information than our very slow, sequential uh, types of human languages. Yeah. Yes, that was really impressive, but we have a time out here that we have to pay attention to because there are rules and regulations, 506 of the Penal Code, and we must pay attention to it. So, we'll be back with our guest. Hello, my name is Paul H. Smith, author of Reading the Enemy's Mind, Inside Stargate, America's Psychic Espionage Program. You are listening to Dr. Bob Hieronymus on 21st Century Radio. And don't worry, neither one of us are reading your minds. Hey, Paul, I don't know about that. (laughs) He always... (laughs) Oh, hey, by the way, that's Telesma. That's Telesma playing his little... In there, great group, really very great group. Okay, now of course our guest is uh, Dr. Nancy Dutertra, and uh, you know what the name of the book is: How to Talk to an Alien. And also, let me tell you how to contact her at www.theskepticalpsychic.com and also www.talkalien.com. Now I forgot exactly where we were when you. We were left off uh, about four hours ago, uh, but... Well, that's all right. I think you should call it Paul, and he'll read your mind. Well, uh, that... No. Uh-uh. I'm not going to give him that chance. 
but uh, what a, there's someone you mentioned a while back, Jack Safardi. Or, yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Uh, now, he believes he could owe some of his greatest scientific achievements and contacts to the strange agreement he made with an alien voice on the phone as a child. Would you mind sharing that, that experience? And then I'd like to hear your experience with an alien on the phone. First of all, he's, he's really interesting. I mean, he's working on all kinds of um, fascinating uh, issues in theoretical physics right now. And, uh, I mean, he's just an incredibly bright human being. He, he's crazy arrogant, but he's unbelievably bright and uh, fascinating. And he, in his own way, I think, is open to all different kinds of ideas. At any rate, when he was a kid, and it's a well-known story, and he's had this documented, uh, you know, in a number of different books, but uh, I think he was about 12 or 13 years old, and he started to get these um, phone calls from what sounded like this sort of cold, electronic-sounding voice. And uh, he remembered too many of the conversations, apparently, because he just didn't didn't remember them. The pieces that he did remember, they were asking him, this voice was asking him things like, uh, you know, do you want to get basically get on board with this program? We've selected you as one of about 400 gifted people, and, uh, you know, you're going to be meeting a lot of them 20 years down the road, and do you, do you want to do this? And he wasn't quite sure what this was. Um, his mother, I think, eventually started intercepting the phone calls. There were several of them and basically said, you know, leave my son alone. And so the voice stopped calling. But he had already kind of agreed to whatever this was. In retrospect, he has said that he thinks that this uh, voice was, you know, what we would call an alien. And as I said, there are all different shades and flavors of aliens. You know, it's not just one. Um and that this was some type of artificial intelligence calling him from the future, telling him to create it. So he was within this uh, time loop. So that's what he has spent his, that's been his life's work, uh, to create um, this intelligence. And a lot of the theoretical work that's being done in physics right now has to do with can you move um, uh, forwards and backwards in time? You know, what in the more popular vernacular is time travel. And they're working on it, and they're extremely serious about it. And they are, you know, from the, the bits that I can see, they're rather close to it. And he has a very specific theory about how uh, time travel can be accomplished on a quantum level. Well, you had an experience uh, with one of these phone calls, did you not? Yeah, I mean, I've had several uh, of these oh, several? phone calls. Oh. Yeah. Well, uh, you only they, told one of them in your book, didn't you? Well, you know, you run out of time and your publisher gives you a 40,000 word <laughs> <of> it, <laughs> <That's> and <laughs> then you're stuck with it. So. Oh, so many 
darn things are never in books because of that. Well, we, there you go. Yeah, we have to cut out 150 pages here and there. Yeah. And we just finished the book after five and a half years, and boy, I'm so sorry. There are so many things we cannot include. Uh, but that's not what we're headed talking about now. Tell us about your experience, please. Um, I started to, uh, and by the way, I, I was not at all interested in UFOs. I wasn't interested in aliens, didn't believe in them. In fact, as I discovered recently, I looked in my book, Psychic Intuition, where I'm explaining psychic ability in terms of neuroscience, psychology, and linguistics, and I looked at it, and I was explaining that having explored the psychic and paranormal worlds, I was pretty comfortable and confident saying, yeah, I, I understand uh, that spirits are within our dimension because I've experienced them with all five of my senses. I get it. Mm -hmm. I said, but probably for me to believe in a space alien, you know, I'd have to see one. Well, you know, be careful what you wish for or even talk about because uh, on June 19th, 2011, my daughter and I were coming out of a movie theater uh, in a local town here in New Jersey, and there was nobody in the movie theater. It was it was almost midnight, and uh, we were in the empty parking lot. My daughter pointed out in the sky and said, what's that? And there was a, uh, I'm not going to bore you with a whole long story, but uh, it was a, uh, it was a craft. What I learned later was it's been called a mothership. It was the size of a football field. It was sitting in the sky, about 500 to 1,000 feet up in the air, and roughly a half a mile away. And it was covered with 20 or 30 orange lights. It was boomerang-shaped. And it was after that sighting that when she and I would speak on the phone, and it didn't matter if it was landlines or cell phones or any combination, uh, we would occasionally get interrupted. So neither one of us could hear each other speak, but both of us could hear the voice that was speaking. And it sounded cold, electronic, like it was coming through a very thick uh, wave distortion. It sounded male. It was very creepy sounding. Uh, it said my daughter's name at one point. It was very hard to make out any words. And then what would happen is that it would disconnect our conversation. And then usually for five or ten minutes, we'd both try dialing each other, and we couldn't get through. Then it that same thing would happen with her and some of her friends and me and some of my friends. So it wasn't just the two of us. Um, and the sounds that are being generated in the... It's not like, you know, you're, you've got crossed phone lines or you've got little glitchy things going on. Those, those, I know what those sound like. I mean, I've been around the block enough times. I, truly, I know those things. This is something... I, one of my friends who heard this said, whatever the, whatever the hell that was, that was not of this earth. And she and I had never discussed UFOs ever. So um, they have, and as Dr. Uh, or uh, Stefano Brecchia said, you know, in, in the uh, W56 friendship case, in the 50s, when they had these early prototype computers and early TV sets, he said, these aliens can target a specific uh, monitor or computer or TV set out of a room full of them and communicate just through that device. So they're very sophisticated the way that they can contact. 
And, and by the way, um, Jack Sephardi ended up meeting Uri Geller 20 years later, as well as, um, you know, the, the guys at the Stanford Research Institute put off in Targ, who Ingo was working with. Um, he, I mean, he sort of met the whole crowd. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Uri was getting also electronic-sounding uh, phone calls. Well, he's had some problems at times uh, in broadcasting because of that, and that's oh, one yes. of, that's the reason why he, um, when he came he, to our studio, he needed to use the studio for some, and it, it worked out okay because we made a deal with the aliens. You know, we have uh-huh. them, we, we have them pay us twice as much. Uh, <laughs> right. We tell them, tell them it's only going to be seven hundred dollars, and we charge them three thousand, and that's the way we get away with things around here. Um, and Kinda. they don't—they don't know much about money, so I would imagine that that would be an easy one to pull off. There are so many other points in your book that I know we should get back into the languages, but I can't help but ask some of these questions because uh, this book is so rare. With it's a small book with so much power. Thank um, you. Yeah, this is my when my. Uh, when we got this book. I had it sitting on the bed, and I, you know, it was. Uh, the kind of thing that I that my wife knows that that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read that one next, and she grabbed it. <laughs> she grabbed it right away, and read straight through. She's a faster reader than I am. Everybody's faster than I am in anything. So she 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 read it and she said, "This is great. This is great." And and uh, for her, uh, you know, I, I'm a I I look at things a little bit different than. Than she does in, in this particular area, because you you know, and you're you're probably, you have probably faced some fear in this area, have you not? Well, the funny thing is that um, after facing, I didn't go into any of this, and uh, I didn't go into the paranormal world until I felt I had conquered all my fears. And and when you enter that world, believe me, it's spooky. I have seen stuff. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff, uh, and frightening. And you, at that point, you learn uh, there are negative energies and entities, and they're real. Um, so I don't, I don't frighten easily anymore. I really don't. Well, I, that's the reason why I want you on my side, so to help <laughs> help beat up some of the folks that are beings that come my way. Um, so the uh, also you also mentioned that psychics may be aliens' greatest foes. Did I get that right? On page 76 there? that was a thing that, uh, you know, I I am trained in um, advanced uh, controlled remote viewing techniques, and I studied with Lynn Buchanan, who was the last guy into the military program before it shut down in, I think it was 93 or 94, and uh, he, he knew Ingo actually quite well, and he said that that was one of the things that, um, you know, maybe I'm getting this wrong, maybe I heard it from both of them. I think Ingo told me that, yes, that's what it was, Ingo told me that, and I mentioned that to Lynn. And Lynn was saying, well, it's sort of a, a, he said, it needs to be refined a little bit. And I said, really, how? How so? He said, they are concerned, not just about, you know, all psychics, that they're concerned about our human ability 
to uh, remote view at long distances or be clairvoyant at very long distances, Mm -hmm. suggesting to me that aliens have psychic abilities, but they have to be in much closer proximity in order for them to function. I am so glad. I'm just hoping, of course, that that's true, because um, I guess you may have read, uh, certainly you know the work well of Dr. David Jacobs, yeah. Um, and his latest book, he was on just a couple of weeks ago, Alien Plan to Control Humanity. It's a pretty tough book to read uh, because he's basically saying that they got it all over us. And more or less, uh, there's no, no, it's going to be hard for us to defend ourselves in the future. But you note on page 100, and I'm holding it up to the microphone now so everyone can read this. You can't get out of this, Okay. We got we got you on this one. <laughs> Do humans have a longer range of psychic ability than aliens? You you note there, and that just might make a very big difference. Am I just living in a world that doesn't exist? Is that possible? Uh, I think you're living in an extremely special world, which I think is fantastic. Um, but I think that's accurate. I mean, that's my understanding, and I don't claim to know everything. I am simply gathering as much evidence from as many different sources as I can so that I can get some type of a, a grip and an understanding on this really um, fascinating phenomenon that people tend to, as you just mentioned, get really frightened of, or they get too confused by it, or it's like not within their reality box, as Ingo would have said, and so they just don't want to deal with it. Uh, so so based on, on that, I, I think there's a good chance that we humans have this very special ability, which we should all be learning. And by the way, I became a better lawyer after I trained to become a psychic. Mm-hmm. Everybody should be training, everybody should know something about the law, and everything sh- everybody should know something about psychic ability because it puts you on a super highway of knowledge. You get there faster. And uh, I think if we all did this, we would increase. I mean, it, it sort of puts us on a maybe this spiritual evolution that a lot of New Agers talk about. You know that that the aliens are trying to help us with our spiritual evolution and move us forward and all that. Well, if we all trained in in psychic uh, skills, we'd become quite a bit more powerful. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of a dormant ability in in humans. And I'm not uh, as negative about, you know, where we're going as uh, uh, David Jacobs is. I'm just not. Well, there are very few people are. Well, no, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. I'm wrong. The, The extreme fundamentalists... Uh, the Christian fundamentalists uh, basically say that all aliens are satanic. Well, I, don't, I think they're just their fear is just overwhelming in this particular area. But I am afraid of my my uh, my boss over there who's saying I am once again breaking rules and regulations, and uh, I got to be careful because again she's bigger than I am. So so we're taking a break here, and we'll be back with Nancy Dutertra. Dr. Nancy now. Uh, She has just won a free trip to Bermuda 
as Norberg, we're going to lend her my Rolls Royce tomorrow so she can drive it wherever she needs to go. But uh, just got a reminder, it only gets eight miles to the gallon. We'll be back with Nancy in just a few minutes. Hello, this is Robert Salas, author of Unidentified, the UFO Phenomenon. My website is spiralgalaxy.org, and you are listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus. Hey, Robert. Hey, Uncle Robert. Mr. Salas. I mispronounced your name only 22 times when you were joining us, and I apologize for that. But are you listening tonight, Robert? I got to tell you this, Robert, and that's this. I'm going to have to quote you in our book that we're going to introduce to all the alumni at Johns Hopkins University. And it's all your fault, Robert, because you did such a good job. Thank you. Now, let's get back with Dr. Nancy Dutertra. And here is the question. Uh, You know, I have to stop you. Really, truly, you got to stop calling me doctor. (laughs) Why not? Because... Because I'm going to start getting used to it. Well, well like... you should get used to it. I mean, you know, you, you do a superior job. Come on. Really, no, no, no. you do. You, you, And that is so thrilling to know another person that realizes how important this is. I, I could have talked to my dogs all day, and they wouldn't have paid attention to this. You know, well, I got smart dogs. We got five of them. Now, wow. but here's the important question for a free trip to Bermuda and, and a carton of Pepsi. Now, we'll give you a... Ooh. You, you want a carton of Pepsi? Yeah. Okay, good. All right, here goes. What messages are aliens telling us? Okay. So, and, and, and this is what I always try to explain to people first, which is the messages, that's what everybody wants to know first, right off the bat. That's the sexy information piece of this. Oh. What nobody really wants to do is invest the time and the energy into understanding the languages that you need to, to understand their languages or the way they communicate in order to know precisely what their messages mean. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, so everybody kind of jumps to that. And, and by the way, I have read many, many uh, books by people who have channeled alien languages uh, either by themselves or people who go under hypnosis or regressions or work with a partner who then asks them questions and they channel it or any number of different things. Um, and they come up with, they're coming up with some very interesting bits of information. Um, but the messages themselves, I mean, if you, if you if you look at what contactees are typically being told, I mean it's, it's you know that we need to spiritually evolve, uh, and that we need to become better stewards of the earth, and that we need to understand that everything that we do on Earth um, has a, a sort of ripple effect throughout the cosmos because we're all interrelated, even though we might think that aliens are literally alien to us, they're connected to us. And if you, you know, uh, go back to uh, Inga's artwork, as you know, he understood that concept of interconnectedness. He was, um, I, he was friendly, I think, also with, uh, I don't know if you, if you know Alex Gray? Do I know Alex Gray? Is he a friend of yours? Yes, of course. Well, okay, there you go. Oh, I mean, and me. he understands the interconnectedness, 
I mean, if you if you go if you travel into these realms, you understand. And ultimately, by the way, science is following. Science is not in the lead on this. Science is following. It's the people who have this more sort of spiritual, telepathic, uh, clairvoyant type of understanding of what time is and what particles are and what space is and all that kind of stuff who get it. At any rate, if you look at some of the messages that have been communicated, and I just give you two. One was to a um, South African shaman, and he didn't know what to do with this message. It was given to him, I believe, by a an alien with flaming red hair. And the message was, in the vastness of the cosmos, there is a thinking brain. And he said, what the heck am I supposed to do with that? You know, I'm just this South African shaman. What the heck? Mm -hmm. But then there's another message that I cite in the book also. It was given to a British housewife from an alien who said he was from some planet or location called Garnazavarn. And his message was, the deity itself dwells at the heart and core of the atom. So if you think about both of those messages, they're very um, hermetic in the sense that they, they talk about how the microcosm contains the macrocosm. It's all about interconnectedness. You know, the small contains the large. And that we need to be aware of that. And it, it, it comes down to really understanding the conscious universe. Um, you also have, I mean, the... the um, Apparently, some of the messages that were being uh, interpreted uh, by the NSA in their declassified 2011 document where they're talking about receiving messages from outer space, they don't say exactly how they got them, but they used um, different types of, um, uh, their cryptographer, I guess, was deciphering them numerically and found that they're talking about different types of um, you know, our periodic table, different types of uh, rare earth elements, metals, things like that. And I have run across other contactees who have talked about receiving some type of messages about metals like titanium, things like that. So apparently they're interested in our metals. Well, that's, we're interested in theirs, so it seems, you know, fitting that they would be interested in ours and our chemical composition and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's a way, it's sort of a, hello, how do you do? And by the way, maybe what can we trade with you? And it goes a little bit back to, you know, the, the um, Zacharias uh, Sitchin ideas of, um, you know, a, a, a human slave species being cr created by the Anunnaki to, for the purposes of, of mining gold. Mm -hmm. um, We're nearly out of time. Sure. So I'm breaking in here. Have other types of aliens warned us of great changes for our planet? Yes. Yes. Yes, there are some great changes coming, I think. Uh, that's what the apocalypse mural is all about. But uh, what is the information, however, that experiencers say is the most often communicated to them by aliens? Is uh, you know, cataclysmic disasters, either man-made through warfare or through uh, destruction of our planet and our environment. And we seem to be working, you know, on all of those fairly consistently, mm -hmm. which is why it's very, very important people get the message that uh, we need to um, 
reduce violence and take better care of our environment mm-hmm. and get active. I mean, that's why I sit in my local government. Yeah. I started an environmental group, and we were successful. Uh, everybody needs to get involved in the act, and that's why Citizens United is was so devastating Yeah. because corporations uh, were given the opportunity to control us for whatever the private interests are, and that's not necessarily our interest. That's for sure. And one of the things I want to quote on page 130 that you said, and that is, love is the only important thing and that the race must evolve spiritually, like you've said earlier, in order to save the world from imminent catastrophic global disaster. So we got to elevate our consciousness, and that's what we try to do on this show, and we're almost out of time. This has been a great thrill for me, Nancy. I want to thank you for joining us for two hours. I know you're a very busy person, but this is uh, this is something that uh, I'll, a show that I'll listen to many times, and certainly with our listeners as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, and it's been an amazing opportunity for me. I, I'm very, very grateful. And that's the show. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cordner. Our engineer is Anita Brockington. And I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus.